It's always a delight to have visitors with us. We do have a number this morning who've come perhaps visiting your family. We want you to know that you're a blessing to us. We're grateful that you have taken the time and the effort to come and worship with us as we worship our God. We've been studying through the book of Acts, and this book is a remarkable book. I've hoped that we've been able to communicate as we have studied through this book the enthusiasm, the excitement that existed in the early New Testament church as they began to carry the gospel into all the world. And as you and I study this letter, we realize there's so much to learn about how you and I ought to carry that message as well. The gospel reaches people from many cultures and many backgrounds. We have people that the gospel was sent to that lived lives almost completely different than our own. Many of them had their own cultures that reflected the way they were reared. Many of them did not have the kind of biblical knowledge background that many of us enjoy. We read when we study the book of Revelation in chapter 5 and verse 9, there's a picture there of Jesus opening a book. And that book was going to reveal the things which were shortly going to come to pass. There were those who had already become Christians and had suffered death because they were Christians. And we read in verse 9, And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. You know when we get the opportunity to go to heaven... There's going to be a vast sea of people who are going to have different backgrounds than you and I, going to speak different languages than you and I have spoken, and yet we're all going to enjoy being around that great white throne. But you see, the reason why the gospel goes everywhere is because there is a universal problem that everyone suffers. That universal problem is sin. We learn from Paul in Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet there is a universal solution, and that is Jesus the Christ. He is the one. And if you'll remember that as Brother Jared read to us just a few moments ago, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. There's value in studying how the gospel reaches lost men. If it is my obligation and it is your obligation to carry the gospel to everyone, I want to know how I ought to do it. I want to know what I ought to say. And I want to know how people will receive it. And so this morning we're going to study a good part of Acts chapter 13. We're going to start study, first of all, the setting we're going to see where Paul goes, a little bit of background behind those people. Number two, we're going to look at the sermon from verses 17 through verse 41. We won't have opportunity to look in detail, but we want to look at the sermon that he preached. 
And then finally, to look at the result, and you find some people who are seeking. They're looking for something. And you find others who are satisfied with the status quo. Well, let's begin our study of this lesson. First of all, the setting is Paul is on his way to Antioch in the province of Pisidia. He has originated this journey at Antioch in Syria. And I know that's confusing from people. Because when we think of going from one place to another and both of the cities have the same names, you wonder which city are you going to? For instance, there's a Paris, Tennessee, there's a Paris, Texas, and there's a Paris, France. And it'd be interesting for a man who grew up, perhaps, in Paris, Texas, to have moved to Paris, Tennessee, and go on a mission effort to Paris, France. But that's the kind of situation you have here. Antioch in Pisidia is right in the middle of the country today that we know as Turkey. Paul and Barnabas as we studied last week, went to the island of Cyprus. They sailed from the city on the western coast, Paphos, to Perga, which was in the province of Pamphylia, right along the coast. Then they make that journey from Perga up to Antioch, which is about 110 miles away. I think I have that later. But the climb is 3,600 feet in elevation, they're going to be climbing uphill most of the way. It's a very difficult way, and there's robbers all along it. And it reminds you of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26, describing what kinds of things he endured. He said, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren. I think about in peril among robbers on those journeys. You're going along, you're walking, or perhaps riding some beast of burden, and men come out in front of you and they say, we want all of your money, we want all of your possessions. It was a certainly dangerous journey to take. It's 110 miles from Perga to Antioch. That's approximately the distance between here and Knoxville. I want you to imagine making that trip on foot. I want you to imagine going through difficult areas as Paul did. But when you get to Antioch, what do you find? It was a melting pot of people from various backgrounds. And those to whom Paul preached were from various backgrounds. You'll notice with me verses 42 and 43. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. I want you to notice there are three separate categories here. You have, first of all, the Gentiles. These are people who were born mostly in paganism. They were people who had never converted to Judaism, but they hear about the God that it's being preached, and they want to know more. Then there are those who are Jews. They are descendants of Abraham. 
These are people that have grown up with a lineage, going from generation to generation. But then there are the devout proselytes here. Proselytes were those who had converted to Judaism who had been Gentiles. So you have Jews, convert Jews, and then you have Gentiles in Paul's audience. That leads us to the second part of our lesson today, and that is the sermon. When I think about the sermon that Paul preached, it's very important to me. Because this provides for us a pattern, uh, uh, an example, if you will, of how one ought to preach. What one ought to say. And the sermon was tailor-made to that particular audience. That's important. You know, when I get in the pulpit here, I recognize that the majority of you are here every service. Many of you have been Christians not only for a few years, but many years. Some of you read your Bible every day, and you have a good working knowledge of everything that is in it. On the other hand, I had a young lady who came to the office a few days ago, and she wanted to know more about what she needed to do to become a Christian. Went and got a Bible and put it in front of her, and she said, what parts of this do I need to read? And I said, well, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then after that, read the book of Acts. She said, what are those? And then you feel like, oh, I've, I've got a long way to go for, to be able to even explain the plan of salvation. You have to tailor make your sermon to the audience which you are addressing, and Paul is going to do that. He is going to base his lesson on the Old Testament law of Moses. And you might say, well, why is he doing that? He's speaking to Jews for the most part. He's speaking to people who know that law, and he is going to make reference to it. It is as Paul told the Galatians that the law was our tutor, our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. If you want to preach Christ to someone and they have a Jewish background, you need to go to that Old Testament and show how Jesus fulfilled those great prophecies that were found in it. If you want to look at an outline, here's the outline of the sermon beginning with verse 17. He's going to begin talking about the people of God. He's going to explain where they derive from. He's going to go all the way back to when they left out of Egypt. He's going to describe how these people left Egypt. They wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. He's then going to talk about how these people were then governed by judges for a period of 450 years. Then he will come down to the kings and he will talk about Saul. And then when he gets to David, he stops on David and he emphasizes that God has chosen David's seed, his heir, to reign upon the throne. In fact, if you just look in your Bibles, if you'll look at verse 23, it says, From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up a Savior in Israel, Jesus. And that brings to us verses 23 through 25, 
the promise that was made, there was a promise there was going to be a Savior that would come through the seed of David. Then verses 26 through 37, there will be a strong emphasis on the prophecies. The prophecies. You'll see, we'll go back to Psalms chapter 2, and he'll go to Isaiah chapter 55, and he will talk about Jesus fulfilling those prophecies through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And he will point out that there is potential for salvation in verses 38 through verse 41. He will explain how that this Jesus that was promised, the heir of David cannot be neither, either David or one of his physical descendants alone because they were in their tombs, their bodies saw corruption, but Jesus was raised the third day and his body never saw corruption. And he comes down to the final point and his final point is this, you beware lest you disbelieve. Oh, what a sermon that he preached. You see, as a people, they were blessed. In fact, they had been chosen. How were they so blessed? Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the prophet of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Here's a specialness that the Jew had. They had a revealed, written message from God. Something that they could open, they could refer to. They were chosen by God in Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. You see, God said, okay, I want these people in there. It's going to be through their lineage that the Christ is going to come. But you see this promise made to David that he would have an heir sitting on his throne. One of the descendants of David, and someone says, well, he's talking about Solomon. Oh, no, no. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, there shall come from the rod, of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Psalm 132, verse 11, The Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. King Jesus, our Savior. I hope you see that this sermon that is being preached is focusing on Jesus as the Savior of man. Prophecy unmistakably proved Jesus as the Christ. Look with me at verses 30, 27 and verse 29. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voice of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. Oh, God knew what was going to happen. He knew the end from the beginning, and he told them that Jesus was coming but he would be killed, he would die, he would be buried, and he would be raised the third day. Verse 29, now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down 
from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But he came forth from the grave. And Paul said, we are witnesses of this. We know that he is alive. Now what did that sermon do? You see, as you and I read and study this sermon, we have to realize that it's just like this morning. I get up here and I preach and I try to teach what God's Word says, but there's going to be different reactions to it. Some are going to be seeking to know more. Their hearts, their minds are are, are struggling. I want to know more about God. I want to know more what He wants me to do, how He wants me to live. And then there's others who say, I'm satisfied with the way things are. Some were interested in continuing to learn more. Listen to verses 42 and 43. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Stop there for a moment. They heard these good words and they said, we want to hear them too. We want them to be applied to us. Verse 43, now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews, devout proselytes who followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. They're following Paul. They're saying, Paul, tell us some more about this Jesus. You see in this context, people who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, they want to know more. And yet at the same time, Many were satisfied with the status quo. You see, there was a Jew-Gentile split. Jews over here, Gentiles over there. If you Gentiles ever want to come over here, you've got to embrace our religion. You've got to embrace us to the point where you are a proselyte. Otherwise, we don't want things to change. Look at verses 44 and 45. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. You see, not only do they want things to stay the same, they want them to stay the same for you too. Oh, do you realize in the church today there's some people whose hearts and their minds are just grasping for good things? And there's other people that when you talk about evangelism, you talk about church growth, you talk about uh, enthusiasm, oh, that's just, well, I'm happy with the way things are. Let's don't change anything. You know, let's just be just like we are. You know what happened to Paul and Barnabas? They were run out of town. Because when you have self-satisfied people and someone comes in and tries to stir things up, they say, oh, we don't want that. Verse 50, But when the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. You guys got to go. We're not going to tolerate what you're teaching here. 
Now, for just a few minutes, let's see if we can learn something that will affect us today, this week, and going forward. Preaching sometimes requires considerable effort. Going to Antioch was not a simple journey. Sometimes carrying the gospel into all the world is not easy. Sometimes it's expensive. Sometimes the way is rough and difficult, and those who go suffer great harm in doing so. I think about people, I'll use Brother Joe Collins' example. You go live in a tent when you preach the gospel in Guyana. No, it's not as comfortable as a holiday inn. No, it's not as pleasant the food that you eat. And our mode of transportation today is wonderful. We've got airplanes that can get you long distances in a short amount of time, but it makes the body weary. Oh, you carry the gospel into all the world, and sometimes it requires some considerable effort. While cultures are frequently different, everybody still has the same need. Because we're all sinners. And that means if a man's skin is black or yellow or red, he needs the gospel just as much as a man whose skin is white or some shade of it. And we can't look at any nationality. We can't look at any race. We can't look at any group of people and say their souls are not worthy of the gospel. And that includes those in our neighborhoods who might look a little bit different than we do. Preaching must persuade people with a message from God. Oh, it's real popular today to have some real neat stories, to have some, some things that really capture people's minds, but the truth is, what saves is the implanted word, James chapter 1. That same old message that says that God chose to bring the Savior into the world and it's Jesus Christ and everything relates to Him. We are the church of Christ. Everything focuses on Him. When you talk with someone about becoming a Christian... If you don't focus on Jesus Christ, you're not converting them. You may be persuading them of something, but to convert someone means that they have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. So important. One must be prepared to deal with the prejudices of people. Do you and I have prejudices? Do we sometimes allow ourselves to look at people with a lesser view of them? Absolutely we do. Whether you want to admit it or not, we do. Do you realize that other people look at us and they have their prejudices as well? You go to people of the Far East and they have a much different perspective than do we and you go to people who are of a much poorer nation and they look at us and they look at us as only people who are living for money and for affluency and sometimes they're right. 
You have to break down those walls so that people can be able to see Jesus, to see him as our Savior. The bottom line is he has to be the focus of our preaching. And so as I'm studying through the book of Acts, and I stop to pause in Acts 13 at Antioch, and I see the message being delivered there, and I say, okay, now what's that going to do to me this week? I'm going to have to look at the way Paul and Barnabas handle this. The same message of the cross is still being preached today. At least I hope it's being preached today. It's still through this man that we have forgiveness of sins. You know, this morning we're going to sing a song of encouragement here in just a few minutes. And the very purpose of this song is to urge you to respond, not to me, not to this congregation, but to respond to the Lord. It was Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is he who calls you to be his follower, his disciple, for him to become your savior. Don't allow any pride, any prejudice to keep you from saving your soul. And what we're going to do, we're going to sing, I am resolved. Resolved. I've made up my mind. I'm going to do something. If you're here and you're not a Christian, resolve that you're going to become a Christian this morning. You're a Christian living in sin and you know that you've got to take care of it. This morning is a time for you to respond. While together we stand and sing.